0: Welcome to the New Testament Review,
1: where every episode we discuss a classic piece of New Testament scholarship.
0: I'm Ian Mills,
1: and I'm Laura Robinson, and we are PhD students in New Testament studies at Duke University.
0: This week we're going to discuss What Are the Gospels by Richard A. Burridge, which was published in 1992. Laura, what's this book about?
1: Yeah, this book is arguing that the Gospels, contrary to many of the form critics in the 19th and 20th centuries, this book argues that the Gospels are actually bioi, uh, or examples of classical Greco-Roman biographies.
0: So... German 20th Century Scholarship, to give the backdrop for this, sees the advent of form criticism, where they view the Gospels not as unitary literary compositions or the work of a creative author, but rather as Klein literature or folk literature, that is, products of a community who are putting together different stories oral traditions about Jesus and collecting them into gospels. So you can't speak of a particular author or even of of a genre or of an interest across the entire work. Moreover, you can't or shouldn't speak of memories or interest in the historical Jesus so much as these are meant to represent the community, the life of the community in worship. So the feeding of the 5,000 isn't treated as a event in a narrative about Jesus, but rather saying something about the experience of the lived Christian community Wherein Jesus is a cipher for all Christians.
1: That's the Boltman form critical view that he's particularly responding to. A classic part of this argument is that the written gospels we have don't have a, a recognizable genre. They're genreless works. They they have no relationship to anything else in classical antiquity except for oral folk tradition.
0: Mark basically invents his own way of telling a story. Yeah, uh, Mark, and then
1: Matthew, yeah. Luke follow suit by telling this the story of Jesus in this form that right. is functionally invented.
0: And Mark, Matthew, and John, you're not referring to specific authors, but rather communities. So Mark and Matthew and Johanna and communities.
1: Yeah. Anyways, all this really invites the question of what is a genre? How are we supposed to think about this word? So classically speaking in early classical literature where genre is discussed, it's seen very much as a prescriptive term. Aristotle talks about this when he's talking about different kinds of drama. The genre tells the author what kind of material he or she can put in a work. Is prose appropriate? Are these themes appropriate? Or the genre is a set of instructions that guides the author in the production of a text. And then of course, later literary critics would actually see this sort of the opposite. It's not prescriptive but descriptive. And Burridge thinks a lot more in terms of of genre as a set of expectations that guide the reader and the author through an unfamiliar text. That genre is an awareness that the reader can have when he or she approaches a text that shape the way he or she goes through it that let us know what we can expect when we're reading.
0: For Burridge, a work cannot be sui generis. When an author sits down to compose something, they are working with conventions that they have absorbed. And when a reader comes to read a text, they must have those conventions that create expectations to understand a text at all. A sui generis text for Burridge would be indecipherable. So Burridge borrows a term from the late Wittgenstein, this this notion of family resemblance to talk about how we identify a genre. He, He says this has to be historically specified. So genres do not transcend time and space but rather are historically and geographically localized and share a set of features, both external and internal. So he, he premises against people who say that genres are defined by a series of topoi, like t- subjects that must be treated. And he, he says that's, that's part of the answer. And he also looks at people who say genre are things like, is this work pose or poetry? No. <laughs> um, is this work long or short? He says, yes, that's also part of the answer, but not the answer. It's going to be a bunch of these things taken together, and the absence or presence of any one feature is insufficient to identify the genre. Rather, you have a cluster, like, like families. Not everyone needs to have the same nose, or the same ears, or the same eyes. One member of the family can be missing different things, but the characteristics taken together give you this resemblance, which allows you to identify what genre we're talking about, yeah.
1: and genres also very much intersect with each other. In his Absolutely. understanding that you know, it, a, bi- a biography can have elements of encomium, of philosophy, of novel esque structure. Yeah. Right. these things all they're, they're not watertight compartments.
0: Right. He has the notion of subgenre, which is usually topic specific. So. Subgenres will be within a genre focusing on different kinds of topics and he's got this notion of <laughs> mode that describes how a subject is treated if the person is taking a somber approach to things or giving entertaining little stories neither one of those things are sufficient to identify a genre but both can be talked about independent of yeah. that. So the first characteristic he wants to talk about as helping to identify the genre of a work is its title and opening section.
1: He basically has three sets of uh, th- sets of genre qualifiers uh, in mind. You've got your opening features, you've got your external features and your internal features. Opening features include your title and your opening formula and your prologue. One thing he gets into is that titles in the ancient world are you know they're, they're normally the name of the of the main character, right. like, Life of Moses, or, um...
0: So this is actually a uh, weak place to start. Most and Roman bioi have the name of their subject in the title, and this isn't true of the Gospels. I think this is actually a weak point for Bridge. I mean, he basically uses the title of the Gospels to show that the four canonical Gospels were viewed as one literary type. These works were all viewed as the same. And I think that's actually, to step back for a second, wrong. For instance, the Gospel of Thomas, which is basically a collection of sayings, is also called a gospel. And the gospel of Philip, which is basically a, a sermon, is also called a gospel. And these are clearly generically different works. And so the one thing he could use this for to say that these are these are joint, whatever they are, they're the same thing, I think isn't true, doesn't work in the reception of these works. And he doesn't adequately demonstrate that their titles line up with other Greco Roman bio.
1: Well yeah, it's it's correct if you have a strictly canonical focus, which I think is by now pretty clearly not uh, not an option. Well uh, he's yeah.
0: I mean he's just trying to say that I mean he his he makes the point that these titles probably aren't original to the gospel, and so yeah. they're only useful to show how these works were received. If you wanna look at how works are received or how the term is used subsequently, it doesn't work. Other things that clearly are not by are called gospel. Opening but, formula and prologue, maybe a little yeah, better. This
1: actually is a stronger argument for him. <laughs> Philo, Philo's uh, Moses or um, Nepos Atticus or uh, Euripides, a lot of these, uh, these works open with prologues or formulas that explain the intention of the work, and they name the central figure of the bios. Right, and talk about that they're going to tell their story, and this actually really is true of the gospels right. that they all start with Jesus. And the one yeah.
0: that doesn't, Luke, starts yeah. with this introduction which talks about his use of sources, yeah. um, which is also a feature which it's shows bios-like. up in in, in by this works for Mark and Matthew yeah. for sure, and where Luke is at variance with this, he has this nice authorial introduction.
1: Yeah, it's still very much you know introducing historiographical writing, and I right. think that that gets you most of the way there.
0: But Burridge does this move where he says, well, John has the prologue instead of the thing which BioAir is supposed to have and treats that as if that still confirms his thesis. When I don't, if that's not a disconfirmation of your thesis, what could be?
1: Another key aspect Burge talks about is the question of subject. Who is the focus of the story? So there's two pretty uh, (laughs) statistics-heavy categories on that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. First, the the question of who is the subject of the verbs in the story, and then allocation of space. What aspects of a person's life are covered, and are some aspects privileged more than others? Yes. Yeah, so the analysis of verb subjects. uh, Do you want to talk about this, Ian? So
0: I... The good thing about this, I think we both mm-hmm. agree, is he he's arguing that biographies are about one person, and the Gospels are also about one person. Thucydides' Peloponnesian War isn't about one person. Uh, there are major figures, but it's not annals or poetry typically isn't about one person. Um, uh, and this gets to a problem: is he doesn't he doesn't show us what the other alternatives are. Um, Oedipus Rex, it'd be really interesting to see who is the subject of most of those verbs. It may not be Oedipus in that case, but um, he doesn't give us that data.
1: I thought of Odysseus a lot, actually. And with this category, you get really close to saying that Odysseus has bio-like features, which I think is...
0: (laughs) But the the problem with his use of statistics, which are not in themselves problematic, is he doesn't give us a backdrop or a control against which we may see whether or not these are meaningful. He says that... Bioi have this percentage agreement, and the Gospels have this percentage agreement. And look, they're close. But we don't know if that's close or not, because we don't have anything to compare it to. Um, Maybe a difference of 7% is huge, or maybe it's nothing at all. And I think, I mean, I suspect he's probably right. He's, it's probably true that something like Oedipus Rex has greater variance than 7%. But he doesn't give us the information or the data to check whether or not his numbers are significant. Well,
1: that's the problem. He's, he's, it's it's really comparing it with nothing, because right. he's arguing against the idea that Gospels have no genre, and there's not like he can go find a genre text to see who is the subject of the verbs and those. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's just, yeah, there's not a lot to compare it to, but I mean, it, it's a way of demonstrating that Jesus is the center of the narrative, uh, right. but I also don't know if you really need to count subjects and verbs to figure <laughs> that out. I think that's yeah. kind of self-explanatory in the Gospels. Oh, and then um, this brings us to Alec of space.
0: Which is good. Yes,
1: we we, we liked this. So this is uh, a, a classic argument against the idea that the Gospels are uh, are not biographies, or, or bio, is that there is so much attention on the death of Jesus, right. and there is almost no attention on to his childhood or his education or all these other things that happened in his life. It's just like sayings and then he dies. Taylor um, famously says yeah. that
0: Mark is an extended introduction to the Bastion scene.
1: This doesn't look like a modern biography at all, but what Bird shows us that this is actually a pretty common feature in ancient bio, that elements of a person's life will be heavily privileged over others. Like certain periods might be discussed in great length, and uh, less important parts are just glanced over. So it's actually not that surprising that the passion narrative dominates so much of the Gospels, and the rest of Jesus' life does not if we think of them in terms of Bioi.
0: Yeah, a single battle in the Agricola, for instance, takes up 37% of the whole bios. For Plutarch, uh, 17.3% uh, his bios was taken up with the death of his character. Philostratus, in the life of Apollonius of Tiana, um, 26% of that narrative is about his final days and death, which is actually greater than what shows up in any of the canonical Gospels. This is not a compelling argument against the Gospels being bios. Certainly they're privileging this part about Jesus' life, but maybe this isn't that unusual of a thing to do. This isn't. This doesn't seem remarkable.
1: Yeah, so this brings us to external features, the right. structural elements of a text, what, what are <laughs> bioi like and what are the Gospels like. Uh, so he starts with mode of presentation, that bioi are prose works, they're not poetry.
0: And continuous prose, yeah. as opposed to like a Kraya collection or just a, a series of disconnected stories These are a more or less chronological narrative. Obviously, there's some problems with that in Mark, where things are topically arranged within a chronological narrative.
1: Then size? Yeah.
0: So these are medium length works. These are not parables, which Mm -hmm. by their very nature need to be limited in scope and length. And these aren't Homeric epics.
1: Structure—they tend to be roughly chronological, but there's some there's some fudging on that. You may organize topically in some sections, which is right. quite clearly done in the Gospels, and uh, I think I think Philo does that a few times. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. The next section is topoi, which are things that show up, common elements to Greco-Roman bioi. The main characters, ancestry, birth, his education, some great deeds, talking about his virtues, and his, finally, of course, his death.
1: And we're using gender-specific language. Normally we would say he or she, or he and she, but, um, I mean, let's be honest, we're only talking about texts about guys.
0: (laughs) All ten of his characters are male.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll let it slide.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This more or less maps, well, onto the gospels, right? Um, This wraps a lot better onto Matthew and Luke than Mark, but we have concern for ancestry in all three synoptic gospels, some awareness of family in the gospel of Mark, son of David type of thing. We have birth narratives inserted by Matthew and Luke. We have a description of education that shows up particularly in Luke 2. It's a very Hellenistic, the child is already showing the virtues that would make him a great person
1: i think you kind of have that to some extent in matthew too even though it's not it's not precocity or like evidence of uh, evidence of great virtue but people are recognizing something special about jesus as a child in matthew because i I do think that the the magi story when the magi come and give gifts to jesus i do think we need to see that as separate from the birth narrative and i think this is a lot more in line with the story of the boy jesus at the temple as we get in luke so Mm -hmm. yeah this seems to roughly fit the idea of by
0: And all the Gospels, all four Gospels, clearly have the great deeds element and the death. I want to step back and talk about John for a quick second, where, again, Burridge makes this move and says, John doesn't do ancestry, birth, or education because he has the prologue. You know, in the beginning was the word. And again, I, I have to say... If that's not a disconfirmation, what would a disconfirmation yeah. look like? There's yeah. this cosmic narrative about creation and the word. That's not a thing which shows up in other Bioy. If that is displacing things which always show up in Bioy, that's evidence against your thesis, not for it.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. Is I actually wonder if that would have been a good time to talk more about the limits of Bioy in light of Christology. Sure. Oh. Uh, because, you know, Kasemans, though I think, is the one who famously said that Jesus and John is God striving over the face of the earth, and you know, is is what we're seeing in John, where there are upsets. Is this someone trying to write something that looks a lot like a bio? It has a mm-hmm. lot of the elements, but you know, is limited by the fact that he's writing a book about God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I, I don't even know how you would test that thesis that John is trying and failing to write a bio.
0: We'll we'll treat this maybe a little bit more at the end, but yeah. I, one of the weaknesses of Burge's thesis is he doesn't consider other options. And I think the great other option is that the Gospels are consciously imitating Scripture. Yeah. But let's come back to them in a second.
1: Yeah. Uh, another element Bridge talks about that is common to bioi and Gospels is uh, is the style. Uh, the atmosphere is very, it tends to be quite somber and respectful. Um, and again, that's not common in all bioi. Lucian is a lot more jocular and willing to kind of have some fun with the subject, whereas the Gospels are not to the same extent at all.
0: 20th century yeah. form critics described the Gospels as unsophisticated, unliterate. and this is really before the discovery of the documentary papyri and studies of Koine Greek which showed that the style of greek used in the gospels it's not hack prosa it's not high sophisticated literary attic but it's also not it's
1: not barely literate you yeah, know exactly. it's, yeah it's it's workman greek uh, it's, you know, it's
0: it's fuck it's, it's, it's workaday yeah ordinary writing that you show up in scientific treatises yeah. medical treatises all the time some lower historiography and so would have been totally accessible to um, other readers. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Um,
1: uh, yeah, so that's, that's style. Uh, and then there's the issue of characterization. Right. How are the subjects of bioi characterized?
0: One of the objections of the form critics against characterizing the Gospels as bioi is that they show no interest in the motivations and psychology of Jesus. They don't tell us about, they don't give us physical description of him. They don't treat uh, his virtues explicitly, uh, but instead just tell stories about him. And Burridge, is right to argue that this is not the sort of thing we should expect to show up for the most part in bioe. We don't have prolonged discussions of the psychology of Apollonius or Moses or Cato or these other characters. We don't find prolonged descriptions of Moses's physique, and I think that's I think that's right. We um, he makes the point that we need to consider consider the genre of biography as it was used by contemporaries, not how we ex- what we expect to see in it now. What we do find in the Gospels and in Bioy is indirect characterization. We are shown who these people are by what they do and say. The problem I have with this is that Greco-Roman Bioy also engage in a lot of direct characterization. Over and over again, Philo and Philostratus and Lucian tell you what is so great about their subjects and Plutarch, etc., Whereas the Gospels don't do this.
1: Indirect characterization yeah. is present in Bio too, and right. but that's not really the whole picture. Right. Yeah.
0: I, again, I think this is a an inconsistency that he sort of sweeps aside by pointing to the similarity. Yeah. Places and, are similar.
1: Well, and, and indirect characterization is in everything. It's yeah. not like Bio are characterized by exclusive in, indirect characterization or exclusive direct characterization. Right. Like anytime you're writing about people, it's uh, indirect characterization is going to be an element of that. Yep. When you're going through the subjects again, uh, you know, things that are in every biography, you know, I, I got thinking, would you really say that Jesus' virtues are a subject in this? Mm, interesting. I right? don't know if you can really make that case. Like, you think about, like, cardinal virtues that show up in classical literature that, when, when, when someone is held up as an example, you know, like prudence and temperance and clemency and courage. I don't know if you see a lot of those in Mark. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus is... Uh, it's hard to make a case for courage, I think, right. in, in for Mark. Maybe um, more so
0: in Luke, where you have yeah, interactions yeah. which are orchestrated to show that Jesus is smarter or yeah. compassionate or things like that. Yeah, Wisdom
1: is clearly on display, I think, right. in all of these. Uh, that That's the one I think you could make the strongest case for. But beyond that, like what makes Jesus special in the Gospels really doesn't have that much to do with his virtues. Right. It's the claims he makes on people and the claims he makes about himself. Another element of the, the bio that Burge talks about in compares to the Gospels is the question of purpose. What are these wh- What are these texts supposed to accomplish? He's got a list of uh, elements, you know, that, you know, the question of polemic, th- are they intended to entertain, are they intended to inform, are they intended to preserve memory? The account of these things is kind of thin, yeah, I would say. for sure. Uh, and yeah, vague. I
0: mean, he yeah. he makes the point that bio can serve all sorts of purposes, and look, the Gospels might also serve all these purposes. Yeah. I think he underplays, and there's been more work on this uh, subsequently, um, reactions to Bach and other works which show that bioi often function as apologetic or polemical works. The earliest bios we know of is Aristoxenus' attack on Socrates, right? He says that our, that Socrates is plagiarizing the Pythagoreans, um, and you have the Cato and the Anti-Cato. All throughout history, bioi are functioning to attack other conceptions of the same person. And this is, I think, really underdeveloped in Burridge. Instead, mm-hmm. he just sort of shows, here's all the options, and the Gospels might have functioned for all of them, perhaps even entertainment which I think yeah. is a really implausible well
1: it's also it's an, <laughs> entertainment can mean all kinds of things right. like you know, if you mean it has to hold your interest to get through the whole thing <laughs> yeah of course the gospels are intended sure. to entertain but they're not novels right so, yeah
0: maybe infancy gospel of Thomas but I'm not sure I buy that Mark is set up to entertain in the same way that Lucian clearly yeah. would have. So okay. what do you think? Are the gospels bioi?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did not know I was going to have to come down one way or the other on this, but yeah, no, so I think I think that the idea that the gospels are are their own thing completely that Mark invented this. I think he takes that idea yeah. pretty solidly. I agree. Um I think that the question of how even if even if they're styled to be bioi I think the question of how well they carry out that goal has to be looked at in each gospel. I think Luke is a great example of someone who's clearly intending to write a bio. Luke adds a lot of elements that are really particular uh, uh, to this genre. I think the best example of this is the story of Jesus in the temple, like this, you know, Jesus showing that he is precocious and aware of things that other people aren't. that That seems to me pretty pretty solid evidence. Um, It's just the way Luke structures things and characterizes people. But I think John and Mark are really weak cases by comparison.
0: In her review of this work, uh, Del Yarborough Collins said that Burridge's thesis seems so strong because he doesn't consider any alternatives. And I think the strong and obvious alternative for this is the one body of literature we know the gospels had other than other gospels, which is scripture, uh, Jewish scripture. We know these authors are using formula, vocabulary, um, even story structures in imitation of the Hebrew Bible. And the fact that that isn't doesn't register in Burridge as a alternative or a disrupting factor or something that is being blended in, I think, is indefensible.
1: Maybe a maybe a good update of this book would be an examination of Old Testament genre to see what could possibly right. be in play here. Like I I don't know if I I. I'm sure it's hard to classify these things, but Elijah and Elisha cycles seem like an obvious place to start, um, given Um, how many of the miracles are just pulled wholesale from that.
0: Second temple Jewish narratives about scriptural figures, Joseph and Aseneth, these things show up all over the place. You have people rewriting narratives or writing new narratives in the style of scripture or an imitation of scripture or about scripture, um, about religious, important figures. And I think may account for what Mark and John are doing.
1: Well, that's the thing. I think you could say that, you know, maybe Mark is borrowing loosely from a kind of pop literature he's aware of, like the the general structure of a bioi. Mm -hmm. But... as far as like what is actually preserved in there it it clearly seems i think to be it's got more in common with the old testament than it does with philo great so yeah i guess i would say a a little a little a little column a a little B. (laughs) yeah
0: i think that's right probably
1: more column b than column a all
0: right thanks laura
1: all right thank you ian
0: us a review. It's easy. Open your podcast app, find our show, scroll down, hit five stars, more people will find us.
1: Leave us a positive review, though.
0: You can only leave five star reviews. You can find more about us on Twitter at Newt, N-E-W-T Review, or email us at NewTestamentReview at gmail.com Thanks to Mitch and Luke and all the guys from Carnegie for letting us use their song in the intro and outro music of the podcast. You should check them out.